Coming live from San Diego, California, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which, which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their insights, through their information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Dr. Shirag Samashia, CEO of Samashia Academic Consulting, one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions. And today we'll be talking about uh, what other viable options do Indian students have, other students have in the backdrop of world events that are unfolding right now. Welcome to the show, uh, Shirag. Welcome to the Welcome to India, I should say. Yeah, thank you, Ajay, for having me. It's incredible that we could meet like this when we're on completely different sides of the world. Yes, absolutely. East and West are meeting and meeting very, very nicely. So, Dr. Shirak, straightway to the point, you know, Indian parents everywhere, uh, Indian students, they are worried a lot nowadays. I'll, t I'll just read out a couple of headlines that, uh, you know, that, are that have been there in the last couple of days from Indian newspapers. One of them reads, back from Ukraine, medical students hoping for admissions in India. Ukraine medical colleges are offering online classes. One says neighboring countries offering enrollment to Indian students include Hungary, Georgia, Poland, Armenia, and Russia. And then Kerala medical students, you know, who are evacuated from Ukraine, now demanding admission to medical colleges in India. So, so many Newspaper headlines are there online, off, offline discussions are there. And it is very natural, you know, students want to study, they want to become doctors. It's a very noble profession. India is a big country and lots of people are there and we have limited resources. We try to do as much as possible. The government tries to do limited number of colleges. So students uh, try and go outside and look for opportunities. So you have been into, you know, for nearly 20 years, you and your team have helped thousands of students to get into medical school and top colleges using your systemic and systematic and proprietary approach. So first, I will come to the point of all viable options. But first, tell us about you, about your journey, what exactly you do, how you help students all across the world. And especially Indian students, how you can, what you can do for them. Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I mean, simply put, we help students get into medical school. Um, now, what that looks like is much more complex, of course. Uh, we assist students, you know, ever, you know, from the moment they begin college all the way till the moment they enroll into medical school. We also help them, you know, get placed into residency programs so that they can specialize in their desired field. So, I mean, when it comes to students who are in college, you know, we assist them with everything from you know, four-year course planning, helping them develop their extracurricular profile, you know, assisting them with studying for the MCAT, which is the standardized test that's required to get into to medical schools here in the U.S. and in Canada. We also help with all aspects of the application. So we assist with, you know, brainstorming essay topics, editing essays, interview coaching, um, the whole bit. And, you know, medical admissions in North America is very different than other parts of the world. You know, because in a lot of parts of the world, you know, India included and Lebanon, where my parents are originally from, you know, there are certain exams that determine what careers you can go into. In America, it's very different because, you know, folks here practice holistic admissions. Holistic admissions essentially means, you know, grades and test scores are one thing. 
but your extracurricular profile, the service experiences you've done, the research experiences you've done, things like that, and the essays you write, your personal story, all of those factor into whether or not you know, you're admitted to a medical school. And so we help with every aspect of that. And we actually do have uh, Indian families that we support, you know, those who are, let's say, in India and graduated from an Indian medical school and who want to go into residency in the United States or students who are um, international students here in the United States who want to go to U.S. medical schools or just simply parents who immigrated from India. Their kids grew up in the United States, but they don't know the educational system here. So we've supported a lot of South Asian families, uh, most of whom are Indian families. And it's uh, it's just a pleasure to, to chat about that. OK, OK. So uh, how does it start? A student comes to you. Uh, how do they start? Uh, it's for people because a lot of people aspire to go outside and study, especially medical student uh, education, but they don't know. So they're just fear to, uh, fearful to try out. Maybe it's very costly mm -hmm. or something. So how exactly does this process work? And then I'll come to the options part. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Indian students for, for a moment um, because yeah. there are going to be, you know, because I know this is the primary audience. So Indian students, there are sort of two categories, right? Category one is they came to the United States to be a foreign undergraduate student, meaning they came to the United States and enrolled in a place like UCLA or Johns Hopkins or something like this. And now they want to stay in the United States for medical school, but they're not U.S. citizens or permanent residents. They're on an F1 student visa. And that's very different from a student who finished, let's say they went to IIT Delhi and now they want to go to medical school in the United okay. States. So they have a, an Indian undergraduate degree or something like that. And and so those are very different situations because, you know, U.S. and Canadian medical school, usually they want to see at least some level of coursework done in the United States. It doesn't have to be the whole degree, but maybe one or two years of prerequisite courses taken here in the United States or in Canada or something like that. So the former, if you're a student who came from India to the U.S. and studied, then you probably have all of the requirements. Now, it's very difficult as a as a non-permanent resident or citizen to get the right clinical experiences, shadowing experiences, research experiences, because even on an F1 student visa, you can't really work in the United States. So we have to be mindful of where you're getting your clinical experiences and your volunteer experiences. Sometimes we talk about doing them at home in India over the summers and bringing sort of that bicultural lens to the process. And so we help them with developing that entire profile from the ground up and successfully apply to U.S. med schools. The options are more limited because not every medical school accepts people who aren't permanent residents or U.S. citizens. Now, the second category is it's much more challenging if you attended a school in India and now you want to come study in the U.S. Well, you're probably going to have to complete one or two pre years of prerequisite courses like biology, chemistry, physics, etc., at a, an accredited U.S. institution to be eligible to apply. So there's probably a little bit more academic work to do. There's a subset of medical schools that allows foreign degrees, but they then need, you know, a essentially an organization to verify that those are the equivalent U.S. courses. So essentially, the first part of it is we have to evaluate what a what a student standing is. What have they done? Where have they done it? What requirements have they met? What is still outstanding? And once we have clarity about all of that, then we can say, okay, this is when you're ready to apply. This is what you still have to do. And then we walk them through every aspect of it. Right. And when should students and parents, when should they start 
say preparing for med school or or in in other words when they they should try and contact you or somebody like you yeah i mean as soon as possible the ideal is to start at the beginning of college um at the beginning of the first year of college because i can't tell you aj how many people come to me you know 3 months before their application is due and they're yeah, like all right dr smasian i want help and i'm like whoa we're missing all these things and they're not things that you can do overnight you have to do it over the course of 6 months a year or something like that you know i often say i wish we had spoken 2 years ago or something like that now so whenever someone starts college the essentially the moment you know you want to begin uh you want to become a physician that's a good time to begin right and and so rather than wait forever until you know it's right around the corner and now we're a little bit in hot water if you hadn't done everything you needed to do right and you are a known uh, you know firm people uh, advisor but for people who are not so known but everybody keeps on advertising online or there are different ways to approach students sure how does a parent especially in our deep corners of the country would know what med school is good whether that you know the person that he say that is talking about that school is good enough because mm-hmm. you once you land up and spend the money then it's it might be late so what are the different ways a parent or a student would you know will be able to evaluate a med school uh, you know potential med school or a person whom they are talking to basically to reach the right place as per their requirement sure so the the med school evaluating a med school is fairly straightforward um you know in the united states we have um allopathic medical schools that give you an md degree which is more familiar to people especially those outside of the us and then there are do degrees but given by osteopathic medical schools now fortunately you know the vast majority of them 99. Point whatever percent are going to be accredited essentially there's an accreditation body that goes and looks at the medical school evaluates their training yes this meets the standards for you know north american medical training and they're accredited so that that means they're a legitimate medical school whose degree will allow you to practice um you know in the united states or in canada if if you want to move there now it gets a little bit tricky when you start going offshore like there are going to be medical schools in the caribbean some of which are accredited others you know their accreditation might be in limbo or there are going to be new schools that might not yet be accredited all that kind of stuff those get a little bit tricky so definitely do your homework where am i applying but if it's a accredited us institution then it's a you know a fine medical school as far as you're going to get a legitimate degree um the training has been verified and so on and so forth um as far as you know how do you evaluate a consultant i mean that's I suppose the the same way you you evaluate other things I mean you you want to make sure that the quality of their materials are strong. So look, anybody Ajay, I'll be real. Anybody can finish school and then say I help people with this now. That doesn't mean they're good at it. I can open a, you know, an Indian restaurant tonight and say I'm great at that doesn't mean I'm good at it, right? So you have to evaluate the quality of the materials so when you go to their site you read their resources the quality typically comes becomes clear which which are better who knows what they're talking about 
In addition to that, making sure to evaluate track record. How long has somebody been doing this? Is this a little side job or, or something different? For me, I do this full time. Um, you know, I've been assisting students nearly two decades. I mean, you can read online reviews. Um, you know, we have whatever it is, 4.9 stars or whatever the case might be. You know, how, how satisfied are people? What are their results? And then get in touch. I mean, every organization, uh, you know, mine included, will offer you a consultation to see if it's going to be a right fit. And, you know, I don't advertise all of the prices even online because I want to make sure it's the right fit. We take on a limited number of people and I want to make sure that our students are going to work hard. We don't want people who, you know, who just want to hire someone and say, OK, it's their job now. No, we're going to push you. And so that's that kind of relationship you have to figure out. Is this the fit that I'm looking for? And so long as that's the case, I mean, I think you can comfortably move forward. So my question was, you know, for the uh, for the med schools or institutes mm -hmm. which are not in the U.S. See, I'll uh -huh. tell you what. Being in India for me, yep. it's also it's very difficult to evaluate colleges. Yep. Colleges, not med schools, but other colleges. I don't know much about med schools. But for, for me also, it's very difficult. A lot of people pay extra money to get into private medical schools. So that's a huge amount of money. Many people cannot afford it. Right. So the question is that... If, if they can't afford MR, they are a lot of them are looking at options outside. And many options are not in the US yep. where you may not have accreditation. So in that on that part, how does a parent or a student who is who is good at his studies but is not good in the worldly ways? So how do they yeah. actually evaluate things? From that perspective, there are so many options. Sure. There are, whether it's China, Philippines, Ukraine, Russia, Armenia, sure. Poland, so many countries. Sure. That is where my question comes in and the topic of the day is, what are the other viable options in the backdrop of present times, which students are not able to look at, but they are there, they are affordable, and those are the places people can certainly add to the places that they are looking for looking at yeah especially right now yeah again so you have to go back to accredit i mean you have to look at two things uh number one is accreditation because there are sometimes going to be foreign medical schools that do have accreditation whether it's you know through the same organization like governing body as you know the u.s medical schools or european medical schools, because that's going to dictate where you're able to practice because if you get a degree in a country that or and you know you go to a school that doesn't have the certain accreditation now you want to move back to a different country and practice there that different country is going to say wait 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 we don't know the quality of that degree you're going to have to further specialize here or go back to school or whatever the case might be so you have to do your homework ahead of time so you know and and medical schools you know many of them are also private and they operate you know some operate not for profit, others operate for profit, their standards to admit people are going to be very different. So also find out from them a few things say, okay, you know, where in which countries can a graduate of your medical school practice, find out where they where you can actually practice if you attend there, and then ask, okay, is that true only for citizens or permanent residents of that country or not? Because let's say, let's say I, you know, there's an Indian student, who whatever is going to school in Delhi and I'm Armenian ethnically. So I'll say Armenia and now goes to a school in Armenia. 
and they're like this Armenian school says, yeah, come in, no problem. You graduate from there, but then they say, wait, to practice in Armenia, you have to be a permanent resident of Armenia or a citizen. Now, what do you do? Because is the Armenian medical degree now, you know, is it accepted in India? Maybe, maybe not. Find that out beforehand. Is it going to be accepted in Armenia? Yes, but will your residency status be accepted there? That's a different question. So these are the questions you have to ask. You know, what is the accreditation? In which countries is that accreditation recognized? And then me personally, as the student, if I attend the school there, get the degree, what countries can I practice in even if I'm not a citizen or permanent resident of those countries, it's going to vary widely from school to school, Ajay. That's why it, it's difficult to give a sort of a general answer of like, this is where you should go. This is what you should do. You have to do your homework on a case by case basis. Right. Right, Dr. Shirag. But tell me, are there places which have not been discovered? You know about them, but students have not come to you or they have not shown interest or Indian students can look at because right now the situation is such that they they have to wait for the uh, for things to cool down yeah. you know, in, in Europe. And you can't have online classes all the time. You can have some classes. Yeah. Some are looking at Indian colleges, state governments are also trying to help do as much as possible. But it is not just about today. Yeah. Today, everything else will say perhaps be fine. But then in the future, events can unfold at any place, any yeah. time. Sure. What are the other places? It's a big world. And there are medical schools in almost every corner of this world. Mm -hmm. My topic itself is on options which have not been known, which are mm. not known, but which are affordable especially from an Indian student's point of view, that they can consider that either them, themselves they can try or they can try through your, your firm. Yeah, sure. I mean, so there's, I mean, we've talked about, you know, what do you have, where can you pursue a medical degree as an Indian student? So if, you know, something goes awry in, in India and you have to, you know, go to school elsewhere or you're already in school elsewhere and, and things are going awry there, where can you transfer? So as far as like, you know, countries that are hidden gems for medical education, it's not like there are certain ones that jump to mind or what have you. But but we can also talk about different career options, right? Because right. there are also going to be different career options for people who, you know, might have considered medicine, but maybe don't have the grades or the test scores or or for some reason or another, maybe they can't afford the education or they don't have the time to do four years of medical school plus residency and so on and so forth. So there will be other degrees that we'll call, you know, allied health professions is sort of the general umbrella term for that. And and so, like, for instance, in the United States, we have something called a, a PA or a physician assistant, a physician assistant. You know, you go to school for two years and and then you're done with it. And you can actually work as a PA in any specialty. So you could be a PA in surgery, you could be a PA in pediatrics, you can be a PA in psychiatry, and so on and so forth. And so you'll have, you know, many of the same responsibilities um, as a physician. And then, you know, you obviously have to be overseen by a physician and approve certain, you know, prescriptions and things of that nature. But it's a very flexible job. Uh, and, you know, you can make you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars US. Um, you know, outside once you get out of school and you can practice in a lot of different places. They're in high demand, 
Uh, and then other countries will also have sort of equivalent degrees. Of course, you can do other things like genetic, being a genetic counselor or, you know, a classic nurse. Um, and there are different ways to do that. There's a BSN and RN and all these different ways of being a nurse. But then there's also other ways to think about this. Ajay. Like healthcare doesn't have to mean that you are the one delivering direct care. Because I know a lot of people who, you know, might come from an engineering background or a software background who have an interest in, in medicine. And so you can explore medical applications, um, you know, of, of computer science or whatever the case might be, whether it's, you know, patient documentation systems, using machine learning to more accurately and more quickly diagnose conditions and so on. So I guess I encourage students who are listening today to not just say, oh, if I'm going to work in healthcare and assist people in that way, I have to be a physician. No, talk, think about two things. Think about what populations do I want to serve and think about what problems do I want to solve? Because let's say that I'm interested in serving a, I don't know, the, like rural rural communities in Rajasthan, like we, you and I were talking about earlier today, Rajasthan, right? So there's one way, which is I become a physician and I go work there. There's another thing where I can, you know, I can be potentially an entrepreneur or whatever the case might be and, and develop a network of local healthcare workers that, you know, can you know, can identify conditions and, and treat sort of basic things and triage others and, and develop a network. And that's much more of a public health or population health approach. Maybe I can also, you know, use technology to make sure that we're, you know, connecting people to care providers in bigger cities where there's better access. Well, if there's no internet or something, you know, help set up those kinds of networks in those places. I mean, there are a lot of ways to impact people. So I always go back to what is the point of medicine? It's to make sure that the end user essentially feels healthy and, you know, has a, you know, thrives and lives a good life and all these kinds of things. And so there are more ways to do that than just you becoming the physician and helping on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I would encourage students to sort of expand their thinking um, around this. Okay. So let me ask it th this way. If a student who has just returned, and there are thousands of them in yeah. India, who has just returned from Ukraine, there sure. is no clarity on the situation there, because it's difficult for anybody to say, though we hope that it will be fine. But to students like that, or to that, and to parents uh, who may not want to send their student back in the backdrop of things, sure. what would you suggest them? For both who are looking to go back, and but the situation is not clear, and for those who, are, who may not want to be in that situation again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so let's say you're attending medical school in Ukraine and now you come back to India. I mean, you're probably going to have to figure out where else to enroll, whether as a first year student or as a transfer student, depending on your stage of education. You know, I, I, I'm going to assume that some people who, you know, were going to school in Ukraine were people who maybe have struggled to, you know, get schooling and, you know, in India, they might have to apply in India or they might have to, you know, wait and, you know, develop some or, or, you know, get the requirements to go to school elsewhere, whether in the UK, Ireland, other parts of Europe, maybe the States and so on and so forth. So it's a very difficult time. You know, I don't uh, I certainly sympathize with people who are in this position where, you know, their education has been rattled and they don't know the next step. So probably looking to attend school in your home country of India or, or going to other parts um, you know, whether it's going, depending on the languages you speak, of course, maybe there are going to be English speaking schools all over the world. I mean, like, for instance, my family's from Lebanon, like I said, there are American speaking universities there. Um, 
or sorry, English speaking universities there, though they might have certain American accreditations and so on and so forth. So you're going to have to look around on different options and see where the requirements are. But yes, I mean, there might be a, a hiatus period where you're not enrolled in school right away. It might be a semester or a year before you return. So um, that's, you know, that's what I would advise people to do to, to look at, okay, where, where have I already fulfilled requirements? Um, where do I have a little bit to go? And how can I develop the type of profile, you know, that's going to allow me to enroll in a different school? So you mean people who have already paid or maybe not paid? So they leave the course midway or and enroll in some other school? I mean, if you're in the Ukraine and you're not going to go to school there and, you know, there's the there's the online program, you know, I'm sure a lot of the schools are saying, OK, you can continue education, you know, via video. But let's say I don't know, you do that for one semester and then you're you're back home in India and now the school opens back up. You know, I, I imagine some students and parents will be hesitant to, to return to Ukraine. That's a personal decision as far as, you know, the the safety situation and, you know, how you view that risk. Um, so it's hard to say because I don't know what will, you know, let's say you take the spring term off or, you know, this current spring term, you, you do online courses and then they say, okay, you know, things resolved, there's a treaty, whatever. And now in the fall, you know, classes are open again. A parent's going to say, oh, well, classes are open again, but do I really want to send my kid back to Kiev? That I can't answer for a family, right? That's going to be a personal decision based on how they view the risk. Okay, so uh, Dr. Shirak, can you tell us about some of the places? Uh, because language is a big problem. Uh, one cannot just wake up and, you know, just learn the language of, a, of that country and start yeah. studying medicine, that to medicine, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So which are the places that give that, you know, impart knowledge of medicine in English? Obviously, Hindi can't be there, but in English, which students can, you know, look at because I guess several countries, they have that language issue that where they teach medicine in their local language. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you're going to have to look at schools that so fortunately, I mean, if there was a single sort of international language for medicine, there isn't. But, you know, the most commonly represented even in other countries is going to be, you know, English speaking schools. In other words, I don't know if I'm in a like if I'm again, I'll use Lebanon again because my parents grew up there. If I'm in Lebanon, there are several like English speaking medical schools. Um, okay. I'm not going to find a a Dutch speaking medical school in Lebanon. So in other words, if you know English, you're probably going to have the most flexibility of where to attend. There's US, there's Canada, there are, you know, there's the UK and Ireland. A lot of schools have, you know, if you look at Lebanon, there's AUB, the American University of Beirut. Other countries will also have an American University of you know, their country or whatever the case might be. Um, so that's what you have to seek. So if there's one language you want to know, if you want flexibility in medical education, English is the one. But you're right. If I, you know, if I go to a, you know, a country and there is no English speaking medical school, I don't know what to say. I mean, you're, you're going to have to learn the language um, and eventually apply there. And then you have to see, well, is it even open to foreign nationals? Right. So this is why the case by case thing really matters, Ajay. Okay. Okay, I think you have uh, understood the situation and actually given some solutions uh, to the students who are listening to this particular uh, discussion. But so, so now coming back to another question, like 
how does one become a good medical school consultant then you are see you have studied medicine you are a doctor you move towards this line you have overcome your problems and then you are into this line now what it takes to be a good medical school consultant mm. Yeah. So just one point of clarification. So, you know, I went to Cornell for my undergrad. I had done very well there, um, but I actually was doing a lot of work in mental health. So I decided to pivot and did my doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, but I've been assisting students with medical school admissions for for a long, long time. And as far as, you know, how do you become a good medical school consultant? Um, a lot of people think, like I said, oh, they get into a program and they say, hey, sounds good. You know, I can do this and help other people, too. But what I always say, Ajay, it's one thing to be a good critic and evaluate others' applications, a completely different thing to be a good coach, right? How many of us have watched a sport and then we're like, oh, they should have done this, this, this. You know, I would have coached them. Yeah, it's very different when, than when you're actually coaching someone to, to success. It's very different to criticize, which is what a lot of, you know, members of an admissions committee might do. Or if you look at an application, you say, oh, this could improve. Okay, now improve it. Uh, how do I do that? Right? It's a completely different ballgame. And so, you know, it really takes an understanding of a obviously requirements, but those are easy to understand what courses you have to take, what extracurriculars to participate in. The much harder thing becomes how do you frame stories in a way that's compelling to a medical school admissions committee? So, for example, you know, you can do all of the right extracurricular activities. You can get all the physician shadowing in the world. You can get great clinical exposure, great research, et cetera. But then if you can't tell a story about how your background, you know, your personal and professional experiences have led you to medicine and describe that in your personal essays and your resume and so on, then it's not going to be compelling. There are a lot of people, Ajay, who have strong grades and test scores who have very bland stories, at least the way they write them, very cliche stories. And so a good consultant is able to understand what a student has done and what their motivations are and then turn that into very strong messaging to medical schools. That's very hard to do because you can read a million examples online of, of great essays and, you know, great, app, you know, experiences, and they've put together a beautiful package. But when you look at someone, a student who's a blank slate, you being able to take that and making that wonderful is a completely different story, right? So it's almost like uh, if I give you ingredients on a recipe, a master chef can make a beautiful dish an amateur chef can make a dish maybe, but it's going to be nowhere near the same. Yes. And given how competitive it is, that really matters. Um, other things will be, you know, being great at interview coaching, you know, being great at identifying interpersonal skills, you know, how someone responds to high stress situations, coaching them through that and so on and so forth. So I think that relationship building skill and being able to, you know, see themes across experiences and put together beautiful writing for a student um, you know, assisting them with all those processes, that's going to be key. Right. So having seen uh, the medical schools interacted with them, having interacted with so many students all throughout your career, what have you, what can you suggest? What do these med schools look for in students? What exactly beyond, beyond the medicine part of it? What, what is it? Yeah, so there are a few layers. Um, and number one is academic potential, plain and simple. What are your grades? What are your test scores? Are you academically high achieving? Can you 
survive the rigors of medical school. So that's why we have grades and MCAT scores. And, you know, in the UK, you have the UCAT and certain places might have a different standardized test. But that's key. Like, is this person bright enough in the sciences? Okay. That's number one. Number two is, have they demonstrated a commitment to medicine? And there are sort of two layers to that. Number one is, do they know what a doctor does? Have they shadowed physicians? Have they seen them in clinical practice? That's a big part of it. And then second, have, have they shown a commitment? Did they just do three months, one internship? They say, oh, I want to be a doctor. That's not going to work. Schools want to see years of participation, patient exposure experiences. Maybe they worked as an emergency medical technician. Maybe they worked as a medical assistant or a certified nursing assistant or volunteered in hospice or all that kind of stuff. Or maybe they performed academic research where they actually worked in the medical science labs um, wherever they go to school. And doing that for years allows the schools to say, okay, this guy has demonstrated a commitment to medicine. They want to be a doctor. They've shown it. They clearly know what a doctor does. They know the road it takes. They understand this. And then the third thing is what qualities does someone bring? You know, how are they compassionate? Are they lifelong learners? Are they, you know, the type of people who are empathic towards other people? Are they um, knowledge seeking? All these kinds of things. And that comes through in letters of recommendation that come through in essays that you're going to write about yourself. And then fourth is going to be interpersonal skills. And that's why they interview. I tell students all the time, the reason they interview you rather than just ask for one more essay is because they actually want to see you deliver it. Right. Let me give you an example, Ajay. Let's say you asked me a question. You said, Dr. Shmasian, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Versus, I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. They're the same words, but the way I deliver them, the first one you're going to say, who is this robot? The second one you're going to say, this guy's really engaging, right? And so that's why interviews matter. The way you present yourself really matters. It's not just the words and the text that you speak. It's how you deliver that information really matters. And so, you know, my advice to students is always think about how you're coming across. Do your extracurricular activities match up with the essays you're writing about yourself? Does the story I'm telling in my essays match up with the interview responses that I give? Do all of the things I say and write about myself, do they match up with what others are saying about me in my recommendation letters? Because I want to walk, if I'm reading thousands of applications, Ajay, I want to say, aha, Ajay, he's the guy, he's incredibly charismatic. He has a commitment to serving others, you know, achieve their best educational and career potential. He lives that. He reads it. I see his energy. I see the work that he does. I see the way he empowers. It's, it, it's undeniable. So essentially, I have to have a walk away from reading your application and the way that you've presented yourself. And it's the same thing for medicine, but in that context. So there's a marketing of yourself. It's very uncomfortable for people to do, especially in the sciences. Oh, right. I'm not a good writer. I studied, bi- I'm very good at biology, but asked me to write an essay. That's really hard for me. I feel awkward. I don't want to come across as arrogant. It's also keep in mind, you know, we're talking about, you know, India and the US and other countries. There are so many cultural differences. You know, it, I know that there are a lot of, you know, people from a lot of different cultures who it's very uncomfortable talking about yourself. It could be seen as arrogant. It's shameful, whatever yes. the case might be. Yes. In the U.S., you're encouraged to be yourself and talk about yourself, whatever. And I think that we have to also be mindful of, well, how do you take people who, you know, might have come from a different background and how do you help them feel comfortable sharing their experiences in a way that's genuine 
but not sort of going overboard and arrogant and things like this. There's a very fine line. Right, right. My last uh, question uh, to you, Dr. Shirag, is how does one contact you? Now, a lot of people uh, have uh, will be seeing you or have seen you. So mm -hmm. they would obviously want to get sure. your, you can say, services or just like to, you know, be in touch with a firm like you, yours. How do they do that? What are the different options available for them? Yeah, just visit the website. Um, I know it's a mouthful, you know, shamasianconsulting.com, but I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and yes, uh, yes. anywhere on the website, yeah, anywhere on the website, you'll see in the top right corner, there's a contact form. And, you know, that has uh, the email address or a contact form you can fill out and, and I'll, I'll be able to see that. That's the best way to do it. Alternatively, we have a ton of resources on our website. Like if you said medical schools in Virginia or something like that, then there's going to be a guide for that. And if you have a question, you could leave it in the comments section. You know, we respond uh, to those as well. So it's pretty easy to get in touch um, and it would be a pleasure to serve anyone. And a lot of free resources also. A ton. Yeah, a ton. I, we probably have, I don't know, we have, I mean, we have hundreds of guides uh, on our site and writing more every day. Great, great. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Shirak. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you and to actually get to understand the medical uh, scenario at this moment, uh, the medical school students scenario and how you are helping them and how they can seek your services. On this yeah. note, it's a wrap. Yes. So on this note, uh, it's a wrap on this edition of the KAJ Masterclass Live. Have a great day.